0: Let's, let's dive into our, our final Advent message. I've got a question for you. I want you to ponder as we uh, kind of review and think about where we are. Some of you've experienced this, I know, recently. Some of you may not have experienced it recently, but I think the memory will just come. It'll just hit you. Here's, here's what I want you to think about. And I want a few of you just to tell me, answer the question. I'm gonna ask you, what were you thinking? What were you feeling? So here's the scenario. You, you make it to the airport. You get the car parked. You get through security. You get to your gate. And when you get to your gate, you find out your flight's delayed. That could be your flight's delayed. It could be after the delay, you find out your flight's canceled. Now, just put yourself there. And all of us in the room probably have been there at some time or another. I want you to tell you, in, when that hits, when that moment hits you, what are you thinking and, and, and what are you feeling? Now, I wanna say this, let's, uh, let's censor our language um, for church, okay? But let's be honest about w- what we're thinking and feeling. What's some of the thoughts you're thinking and feeling? What would, just yell it out. Frustrated, frustrated what else? Panic because, I've to my next flight. panic, because now the next flight's, you know, you're, you're gone. So frustrated, panic, what else? Stranded, so now you're stuck, alone, angry. Yeah, we, we could go on. You, you get the point, and and I, I, I'm glad many people said it because we all feel that. And what that does, you know, when that happens, it's is it puts us in that place where we have to wait. I mean, you you have no control. You have to wait, and in a day. I'm gonna speak for us as an American culture in a day when, think about this, FedEx overnight is now snail mail, all right? It's the truth. that Overnight, are you kidding, right? In that day, y'all, we, we don't like to wait. It's like we won't have it. But that's not the Bible's view of waiting at all. Not even close. We're in the Advent season. Advent means arrival. We're preparing ourselves for, you know, the birth of Christ. We'll celebrate that on on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Um, And Advent is that season of waiting. And so what we've done is we've looked at three characters in the biblical story, um, Simeon Mary and Joseph, and we've said, how, how did they wait, and what can we learn from their waiting? We've drawing, been drawing lessons from them. Now, scholars will tell us that when you look at the individuals who are waiting in, in the narrative accounts of the, the birth, that they're representative of all of Israel. So, so, so the individuals are representing the whole of Israel who is waiting for Messiah, and when we understand that, um, when, we, when we step back and look at the, the nation's waiting as a whole, I really do think there are lessons there. There's a context that when we get it, y'all, it changes how and why we wait. And, and it, it changes, I mean this, it changes how you, how you respond to a delayed flight and how you respond to a slow driver in front of you, <laughs> it changes our perspective. Now, a word of caution. I'm going I'm to step from the, from the individuals. We're going to step up here and we're going to look at the nation. Okay? You see where I'm going from the individuals up to the nation. And a word of caution is we're getting ready to go down a rabbit hole. And uh, for some of you, it's gonna perhaps bore you to tears because history is not your thing, okay? For others, it's like, oh, I, I love the historical part of this. There's gold in the historical context, I mean that, but it's gonna take a little bit of work for us to get there. The nation of Israel waiting. Here's how we're gonna do it. I want you to turn to the book of Malachi. That is the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi, turn to Malachi and turn to Malachi chapter four. Malachi chapter four. Now, unless you have a study Bible, it'll, it'll be different. But, but look up here for, with me. Here's Malachi chapter four, the last verse, verse six. And then I've got this page. I've got one page. And when I flip the page, I'm in the New Testament, the book of Matthew. So, you know, my little blank page says the New Testament. Uh, what, what, I, what we're going to be looking at is we're going to look at that page today. Now that page represents 400 years. 400 his, historical years. Now it's Matthew, Malachi is the last word of the prophet that Israel hears, so word from God comes through Malachi, 400 years of silence. You wanna talk about a wait. 400 years, no prophet speaks. It's why uh, Bible scholars call it the 400 silent years. Um, what we're gonna note as we move through this is God's silence is uh, obviously does not mean um, his absence. But, but here's what this shows us. I want you to think about this. Those 400 years of silence, it's like this. That would be the time from when the pilgrims left England to today. That's how much time passed. Now you tell me the difference. Let's just take a, what's, what all has changed in America since Plymouth Rock to today? I mean, it's literally mind-boggling, isn't it? It's like, wait, if you took someone from here and placed them here, they would stand here and go, I don't even know what planet I'm on. Now, when you read your Bible and you have no context for those years, can I tell you what happens when you start reading the New Testament? Really, if you're honest, you have to go, I don't, if you know the Old Testament and you go to the New, you'd be going, are this, this, is this the same God? Are these... Who are these people? They're, they're characters and there's things in the culture that make no sense unless we understand what in the world happened in those 400 years as they waited. Now, don't try and take notes, just listen, just, and don't try and, you know, you don't have to remember the, the, all the details or dates or anything, just get the big picture, you'll get it. You'll get it as I move through this. Um, we're gonna be talking about superpowers and you'll kind of get who those are and I'll talk about what happened. We gotta start here. Uh, the first big superpower, we start with Babylon, the Babylonians. So in, we're at 587 BC. So it's just say like 600 years before the birth of Christ, the greatest power in the day and perhaps, perhaps of all times, Babylon conquers Israel takes them into exile. They, they're, they're removed from the land in the Babylonian exile. Now, why are they removed? Because they rejected God and worshiped other gods. And God said, if you ever do this, God told them way before, and if you ever do this, you will be scattered. And, and, and sure enough, they, they did it. And God comes and in his timing, takes them into exile in Babylon. He tells them now this, this exile is gonna be for 70 years. And so they're not not home. Uh, They're away from home in those 70 years. As I move through these superpowers, I want you to know, if you lived in that day, you would not be able to envision like someone else will be more powerful than the one I'm under right now. You just couldn't envision it. Well, the Babylonians... The end of those 70 years of captivity for Israel uh, are conquered by the Persians. So, so you get start with Babylon, and then you have Persia. Now the Persians think of King Cyrus. Um, they come in and, and, and they, they allow the Jews to go back to the promised land. So we you know we we step on Babylon, the Persians, they say, Look, okay, Jews, you can go back to the promised land. The Jews go back to the promised land, uh, they rebuild the temple. Um, they've been in the promised land for about a hundred years. I mean, you know, so a hundred years past, they're back in the promised land. Things aren't the way they hoped at all, really. But what's, at the end of that hundred years, Malachi prophesies. So, so historically, the end of the hundred years, Malachi comes along and here's what we understand. I'm just gonna tell you what we understand of the people and from Malachi, we get this. They went into exile because they worshiped other gods. They forsook their God, okay? Uh, They they were sacrificing blemished animals. The priesthood was corrupt. God puts them into exile. They get to go back to the land and guess what they do for those 100 years? They reject their God. They're sacrificing blemished animals. The priesthood is corrupt. In other words, the exile didn't change them. Oh, they still longed for Messiah. Remember this promise goes back all the way to Genesis. They longed for the Messiah to come and set all things right, but they forsake their God. The the exile did nothing to change their hearts, (laughs) nothing. And so here Malachi speaks and here is 400 years of silence. Babylon, the Persians, and along come the Greeks. We're about 300 BC now, BCE, 331. There's a a Greek warrior that you know. He's a great warrior. He conquers the world. Tell me his name. Alexander, everybody's afraid to say it. Like, I'm gonna get it wrong. No, no, it's, it's Alexander. He's not a comic. He's not a Marvel superhero, y'all. He's a historic human being who really did conquer most of the known world. He takes the land of Israel. He goes all the way to India. He's a student of Aristotle. And th- this is important. You know, this, this is the history nerds, you know, get, kind of will go here. I, but we gotta understand this. He was a student of Aristotle. Aristotle believed in a principle, you might say it this way, of singularity, that there's one philosophy, one culture, one way of life. You see, it, he, that was Aristotle's teaching. Well, Alexander takes that, and as he's conquering these countries, he's bringing them under that, that one philosophy, religion, culture. Uh, he's making all things um, Greek. Now, the big word here is hellenization that that the, the world is hellen it's greekified if you will really the whole world language culture it it, it reminds me those of us old enough to remember you know my big fat greek wedding remember the dad every time someone said a word the dad would say tell, you know let me tell you where that word comes from and where did he trace it to where did all the words go to greek it's all greek and It's literally true. When Alexander dies, he's only 32 years old when he dies, y'all. His kingdom's divided between his four generals. Dies at 32. The four generals have this massive kingdom. It's all divided up. Here's the only two you need to remember because two rise up to power, okay? Uh, The Ptolemites or Ptolemy and the Seleucids. Okay, so there's two of his kings that now are in power, Greek kings, the... um, the, the Ptolemies are in the south, so think Egypt and North Africa. Um, the Seleucids are in the north, think old Babylon. And the only way I can describe this, and I tried to do this, I've tried to do this before, but if, um, I'll describe it like this. If this is the, uh, the Mediterranean Sea, okay? So north, south, east, west, this Mediterranean Sea. And so over here on the eastern side of the Mediterranean is the land of Israel. Is everybody with me? So there's a little strip of land here called Israel the Seleucids to the north, the Ptolemites to the south for 200 years. Guess what they did right here? They fought each other. They just 200 years. It's mine. No, it's mine. It's mine. No, it's mine. When it was under the rule of the Ptolemites, guess what they did? An Egyptian king commanded 70 of the most brilliant Hebrew scholars to translate the Hebrew Bible into Greek because it's all Greekified now. The language is Greek and Hebrew is a dying language. So an Egyptian king translates our Old Testament into Greek, 70 Greek scholars. That's why we call it the Septuagint today. Well, eventually, okay, they're fighting. The Ptolemites have it from the South. And get this, about 200 BC, the Seleucids come from the north, and now they've got it. <laughs> and there's a character here of the Seleucids um, called Antiochus the Fourth. Now, Antiochus uh, changed his name to Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, do you know what an epiphany is? I think most an epiphany would be a manifestation of God. I had an, you know, we think of it, I had an epiphany, an insight. Well, it's a, it's a manifestation of God. So I want you to think about a king who changes his name to Antiochus, manifestation of God. This guy is off the charts, uh, away from God, brutal. Uh, It's hard to describe his, his cruelty, quite frankly. And I'm not even gonna, you know, I did the history reading and, and I go, I'm not even gonna say that because it's like almost inappropriate to say in the room some of the things that he did. Um, perhaps uh, right about, you know, 160 BC, he did, you know, he, he outlawed, by the way, he, he outlawed like the Hebrew religion, the Hebrew God, the Hebrew scriptures, um, The the worst thing he did historically, the thing we all, I think most people remember would be when he slaughters a pig in the, he overtakes, he takes the temple, slaughters a pig in the temple and sprinkles pig blood throughout the whole temple. Now, Now think of your Jewish history. This is, it's unspeakable that he would do that in the temple a priest outside of Jerusalem had enough. His name was Mattathias. And he, he and his five sons said enough and went, went to battle Antiochus. Now, again, I got on the movie theme here. Think the Patriot. Because the way Mattathias fought Antiochus was guerrilla warfare. I mean, they, they, they had no army. Against that army, so they just would pick and, you know, they'd pick and choose and guerrilla warfare. Mattathias died, and his son picked up the sword to lead the revolt. His name was Judas Maccabeus. Judas Maccabeus defeats Antiochus. It's crazy, the, the, the miracle. He, over, he, he goes back into the temple. He cleanses the temple, reinstates worship. And as they're reinstating worship, they light the menorah, you know, in there. And they only have oil. They only have enough proper oil for one day. And as the story goes, the oil burned for eight days. And today, if you have Jewish friends or if you're Jewish, then you would be celebrating that event in Hanukkah the Feast of Dedication or the Feast of Lights. I mean, that's literally, today, you're in, I don't know what day it would be, but you're in the, you know, Feast of Hanukkah today. By the way, I found it interesting. Judas Maccabeus led the revolt, defeated this awful, you know, Antiochus. Um, Do you know what, guess what one of the most popular boys' names was in the days of Jesus? Not Jesus, Judas. Who would not, I mean, who would not want their boy to grow up to be like Judas? Maccabeus. Fascinating. Well, the, country, the, the nation of Israel experienced a measure of independence from that revolt. But y'all, do you know what they did for their 100 years? They didn't get along. <laughs> Total instability in Israel. And so you go from the Babylonians, exile, Persians, you can go back. The Greeks come in, you know, basically destroy the temple, so to speak. They gain their independence through Judas Maccabeus, and then they fight amongst each other. It's just civil war. There's no stability. In walks the most stable empire the world has known, the Romans. So now it's the Romans who overtake this little strip of land we know as Israel. Pompey would be the general who conquered Israel. If Romans are anything, they're orderly. Uh, they, they sure plan well. One of the things they do is they install vassal kings when they conquer a country. A vassal king is just a puppet king. So they install a, a, a man named Herod and they install him as you know as the vassal king of Galilee. Herod goes back to the Roman Senate and secures a different title he secures the title King of the Jews. So so now Herod is King of the Jews. I said this last week and this is why I decided to come back to it. God promised Israel a king and that king would rule and that king would be through the line of David. When you trace David up, um, you know, back, David's line comes through Jacob, David, the kings of Israel. Herod is an Edomite. He is a son of Esau. He's not a son of Jacob, who the promise would come through. Everyone in, trust me, everyone in Israel knows Herod is an Edomite. They can't stand him. He can't stand them. Read, when you read the gospels, you see that. He can't stand them. Now, one of the things he does to endear himself to them is he goes on a massive building project. The, the, the buildings that he, he did, the, the infrastructure he built is amazing. It's fascinating. Some of it's standing to this day, but they despised him. He despised them. And when he heard, there was another king. See, can you imagine what that did in him? Wait, wait, there's another. There's a, someone's been calling themselves king of Israel. And of course, we know what Herod did. He, he had every boy, two years and under, killed. I'll get rid of the king before he ever grows up. That's the, that's the story. During this time of civil war, during this time where they're under Persia, uh, just let me say this quickly, because again, it gets to the New Testament, and you go, "Okay, that's what happened." Well, during that time, it's interesting. Um, the 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 Jews set up little places of worship, called synagogues. You remember when you read your Old Testament? Do you understand? You never read about a synagogue in the Old Testament. They weren't there. So during that 400 years, they 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 began to go. We got it. We got to keep the Bible, the Hebrew word God God going. So they they put together synagogues. That was. Uh, an invention, or that was something that happened in those 400 years. Scribes and Pharisees, who are they? I've read the whole Old Testament. They never mention a scribe or a Pharisee. Well, during those years of oppression, the Pharisees said, "We're we're gonna honor God's word. By the way, the Pharisees, they started so well. We're gonna call the people to keep the word of God, and they did, but boy, they built all that extra stuff on it right? Uh, And so that by the time you get to the New Testament, you find the Pharisees, they're legalistic, and they've added 400 plus laws to the law. And that's who Jesus walks into and calls out. The scribes, they would have been more of the political Jews. In other words, they got, they, they were placed in offices by those who oppressed the Jews. And so the scribes They kept one foot in the law and they kept one foot in power politically. And so when you come to the New Testament here, you find synagogues, hmm, you find scribes and Pharisees, you find Jesus coming up against those things in that culture. You guys with me? So there's there's 400 years. They were waiting. And, And I'm not throwing them under the bus, but I would say, the majority were not waiting well. But what do we take away from that? Here's what I, here's what I want us to consider, and I'm gonna mention three things. Number one, world powers. Babylon, Persia, Greeks, Rome. I said it earlier. If you, ever, if you lived under any of the four during your lifetime, you could never imagine any other power being great. It'd be like me saying to you today, uh, you know, you need to get ready because Paraguay is going to take over and China is not even going to, China's not even going to exist. You know, you'd go, that's ridiculous. Well, that's what was, that's what happened in those 400 years because God lifts up and brings down Hellenization. You know, the Greeks thought we're doing this for us, but you do understand that when, when, when the time came and Jesus arrived on the scene, it was one language. It wasn't Hebrew. It was Greek. In that time of Hellenization, the Hebrew scripture, written in Hebrew, a dying language, is resuscitated by an Egyptian king. It's with us today in Greek. And Greek was the language of their day. Rome built 250,000 miles of roadways. Some of those brick and some of them remain with us today. They, 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 it'd be like our interstate system, quite frankly. You know, the, the United States was shaped by the interstate system. Rome built these roads in that day and secured them. Now, so it's not super safe like we would think, but it, was, it secured safe travel for goods and people. You got a supply chain issue? You go to the Romans because they figure that stuff out and they did. All of that. God is silent 400 years. God is at work. So that Paul would write, and I'm just gonna read this in Galatians chapter four, verse four. But when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We look at it historically now, 2,000 years ago. But at that moment in time, Paul says, it was the fullness. (laughs) Everything was in place. It was the right time that Jesus was born to save us. God's silence is God's working. It was, it is right now, right now, and it will be forever so what okay Lloyd. Well, a good history lesson i got that what how does it apply to me let me offer some thoughts i'm going to invite the worship team back up because we'll respond in song but we respond first with our own hearts where i'm asking you and inviting you to trust the spirit to to live what we just walked through and here's two applications i want you to consider how, how do i apply this lloyd to my life today uh, This is gonna sound odd at first, but the first thing that struck me as I was doing, studying, I'm I'm gonna frame it this way. If your primary diet is news of the world, and what I mean by that is that, you know, you just keep up with world events. You just, on social media, you're, you're on these platforms. You, you, you gotta know what's happening here, there, where, if, if that's your primary diet, now hear me, it's, we need to be informed, but I'm just telling you, if that's your primary diet, um, it, it will not help your waiting. It will not help your hope. Now, this is just me. Please hear me on this, because I don't want anybody to go, man, I'm gonna do that, because Lloyd, one of the pastors did it. But I, I, I actually I did this because I, I just needed to, and and my wife and I are on a different page. At least we'd be fine with you saying this. But about eight months ago, I just said I cannot watch the news. I literally cannot, and I chose not to, and I, and I haven't. And and to this day, she'll be home, and I'll be walking, and she goes, she, she she'll say, "Are you okay? I want to catch the news." And I go, "That's great. I'm going to be upstairs. I do. I don't now. I read. You understand? I read news every day." I, I do, I read news every day, but I, I can't watch the news. Now, don't take that and you do that, but you do what you need to. The point being, if, if that is your primary input of information in, in your life, um, you, you will not wait well. Our primary, and this is, you know, you're gonna say, I knew that was coming. Where, what should our primary diet be? I, I'm, you know me enough to know that I'm not beating you over the head with this. But I'm offering this to say, if if the primary information of our life is not the story of redemption, that we saturate and marinate our minds in the story of redemption, then then you'll, you'll read the news of the world and lose hope. You won't wait well. But when your mind and heart is saturated with the story of redemption, the word of God, the promises of God, the story of God, then you step back and go, oh my gosh, I, I know the God who's behind every news story. I know the God who puts, who puts so-and-so in power and removes so-and-so. I know the God who turns the storm to the north, south, east, and west to accomplish what concerns them. Are you with me? This is one application out of this message. How, how, what's my intake? Not just I read a verse a day. That's I really want to challenge you. No, I keep myself immersed in the whole story of God's redemption. Here's the second application. and It's a question. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Now, what I mean by that is, I want to ask yourself when you're delayed, when you have to wait, whether it's a big wait or a little wait, wait. Um, What are you waiting for? And this goes back to Scott's very first message that he taught on Simeon. When I say this, you're gonna remember that. Are you waiting for the circumstance to change? Or can you step back and go, I'm waiting for God to keep his promise. So if you're waiting for the circumstance to change, it may, it may not, I don't know. It may change in the worst way for you. But if you just step back on any weight and say, I'm waiting for God to keep his promise, I promise you he will keep his promise. At the core of that is shaping Christ in you. He does that in a number of ways. One of the most important is he invites you to wait. And so when, I, when we, I just invited you, when you hit the weight this week, just stop and go, "How's God using this weight to shape Christ in me?" I, and you, you might go, God, I mean, is there anything else, Lloyd? I mean, surely there's some other special thing I need?" No, that's it. In the power of the spirit, you say, you trust. God is shaping Christ in me in this way. Let's stand together. I'm going to give you a few moments to think about those two things. What's my intake? And am I, am I waiting on God's promise or am I waiting for the circumstances to change? I want you to just reflect on it. And you talk to God for a moment, and then I, 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 will, I will lead us. So take a moment and you trust the Holy Spirit to speak and I'll invite you to speak to God. Holy Spirit, we invite you to shape our hearts, to grant us by your power to choose faith, to trust, and to act accordingly from a heart that's resting in the fullness of the gospel and in the fullness of your sovereignty to bring about your purposes and your plans. Especially in our waiting. For even as we celebrate Christ's birth, Lord Jesus, we're waiting upon you to come once again.